Hello, my loyal podcast listeners. It's your host, Pete Forsey. Hopefully, you told your friends how to find the show. That's what I told you to do. That was your homework. Hopefully, you instructed them to subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. I need to push these reviews. I need to push the follows. Share with a friend. Tell a friend. Let them know. Pete talks all NFL football, even during the spring months of May and June and July when all we got is rookie minicamp and OTAs. We're going to talk about that today, Bree's retirement, the St. Louis Rams relocation story. Got a lot of NFL football. Going to touch on Bryce Harper, I think, as well. Just having an absolute scorching start to the season. And I love the news, Bryce Harper. Very different guy from 2012 and even like 2014-15. Just really like what the guy's about. Uh, let's get to it. Episode 85 of the podcast. So with the Rams post-dispatch story, uh, for all those that live in St. Louis, you know, that's the hometown newspaper. I've had a lot of great columnists, reporters that are still there really from the time I started reading when I was a young kid. I remember I used to check the box scores with the Cardinals and I used to love looking at the lineups. Where did Pujols bat? How did Tony change the lineup from this night to the next night? I I mean, we're talking Grezelanik, Womack, that's how I got interested in the Post-Dispatch. And they, and it's happy, it's a neat thing to see, I should say, when a newspaper actually breaks a story and it's not like Rap Sheet or Schefter on Twitter. Those guys don't really write stories anymore. Uh, it's usually just, you know, little tidbits and snippets. Sometimes you'll see that some guys, though, who are columnists on the uh, blogging and merely internet websites, they break the stories. So it's fun when you kind of have it as a... Uh, You turn the clock back, and you got the post-dispatch letting us know what happened here. They got their hands on documents with the St. Louis Rams relocation. They got some dirt. They got some email exchanges between Goodell, Kroenke, Demoff. It all led to me learning a couple of things. One, Mike Brown was in the corner of St. Louis, the the Cincinnati Bengals uh, owner. He is old school. He's mom and pop shop. He runs the Bengals in that way. They don't even have an indoor facility out in Cincinnati. Last time I checked in Cincinnati during the winter, it gets cold. <laughs> he's old school. He's uh, he's a little bit cheap. Um, frugal might be the better way to put it, but he really is a fan at heart. He is in the day-to-day operation. The guy's like 80 years old, and he's just still talking football. That's pretty cool. St. Louis, if you have a team that you want to root for, probably should be the Bengals or the Panthers because I know they were the other vote, but their owner's kind of a creep. So, The other thing that I learned is that we were right. The NFL definitely knew what was going on. I don't think that was a secret at this point, but what it clearly unearths, if you did not already know, is that this was going on long before they actually filed for relocation, which the Rams made it official with the NFL just two months before that meeting in Houston in 2016 in January. That's when it was made official that the Rams were moving to Los Angeles. It was a mere weeks that the Rams actually filed for relocation to the National Football League. But in 2013, that's when Kroenke went to Inglewood. He took a peek at the site. He texted Demoff or called him like first thing in the morning, like 5.15, and he said, this is the site. This is it. This will be a hit. And between 2013 and 2016, you never heard anything from major networks. ESPN, Fox Sports, 
CBS. Do, do, do you remember? It was going on here in St. Louis, the local radio, the paper, anywhere, uh, you know, KSTK 5, news at 5 p.m., like everybody has. But on national level, you didn't hear anything. Nobody talked about Los Angeles potentially getting a team. That's when me, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, college Pete was saying, hmm, that's a little fishy. I hear it in my hometown, but I hear it nowhere else. And when you connect the dots, ESPN, Fox, CBS, all these national networks, those all hold NFL games. Do you think that maybe Roger Goodell instructed the NFL network and all these other networks to not talk about a move to Los Angeles? I think so, because that's a pretty big deal when you go to the top market in the country and you put a football team there. That's why these guidelines, the act in good faith, and all these things that St. Louis and Rams fans thought that was protecting them was baloney. Nobody was talking about it. It was deadly quiet. It was eerily quiet. It was suspect as hell. And it's why you knew it was happening. You knew it was happening as soon as they took the land. And really, as time moved along, it only took a couple of years. By, by 2014, they purchased the land. The Rams don't make a statement. The NFL doesn't make a statement. It's just his uh, real estate business. It was fishy from the start. This report, which was a great job by the Post-Dispatch folks, again, happy uh, that was a, a local local uh, outlet that connected us with this, but it really only connected the dots and told the story that this was going on from the get-go and those guidelines were always a bunch of malarkey. The other thing to come out in the matter of days in regards to the NFL is Drew Brees tweeted after Andrew Marchand, uh, who I guess is just like the investigative sports media reporter. He just solely reports on the media side of things. He'll talk about WFAN in New York. He'll talk about ESPN and Aikman and Buck going to the Monday Night Football. He'll talk about like Skip Bayless and, you know, whoever. He's, he's pretty cool. He just talks. He's media talking about media. The news being the news. It's kind of neat. And on Sunday, he broke the news that Drew Brees was leaving NBC and was not going to do color commentating in the booth. Um, I guess it would be with Mike Tirico or perhaps Collinsworth's son. Uh, he was doing the Irish games in Notre Dame, and then I think he was going to get sprinkled in with NBC Sunday Night Football, but then Collinsworth, older one, decided he was going to stay. So maybe he saw or has seen that he is getting blocked there in the booth, and then it, you know, after that report from Marshawn, Breeze came out with a tweet saying he's thinking about playing football again. He's thinking about coaching high school football. He's thinking about being staying home. So we we got Breeze all over the place now with this tweet. And it got me thinking, who's going to want to actually get this guy? Like maybe the Carolina Panthers, maybe the Seattle Seahawks because they have openings. But at the same time, are you really interested in a weak arm quarterback who's going to be playing one, maybe two years in the NFL? Like, if you're a coach on the hot seat, or if you're a coach starting out, is that really what you want to do? Like, is it worth that one-year project? It would make a little bit more sense if you were a team that had a really capable roster and you just needed to elevate that position. Not one of those exists right now. I, I don't see Drew Brees really having a an in here to play QB again. 
Of course, you you think about the Saints and what's going on there. If I'm Dennis Allen, that might build you some credibility, but you already took three steps or so in your offseason in trying to build your roster without him and with you being the head coach and Jameis is back from his leg injury. Can you really, after all the work that Jameis, which that's a guy over the last couple of years, I've realized that guy loves football. Some of these Baker Mayfields, and Russell Wilson, even, I think he loves football, but he's a bit of a diva. Some of these QBs, you know, they, they talk about the bag and how much they want to win. And those two things are just not compatible. One thing about Jameis, that guy, he, he's willing to be a backup. He brought a smile to his face every day. He status quo at the podium each and every time the news uh, or, or the press talk to him. That guy legit loves football. So, If you're going to bring in Drew Brees or bring him back after Jameis just went through this rehab, he could sour pretty quickly. And I'm not saying he's going to be Mr. Mopeyhead, but you know he he might check out on you, especially if you're a new head coach and things with Peyton, you know, might be a little bit different because he's a Hall of Fame level coach. I, I don't think that would be a great idea for the Saints to even entertain bringing him back because you're not going to be an instant contender. You're just not. Your team's got holes. Uh, in, in plenty of places. You got the Bucks coming back with most of their roster. You're not going to be a laughing stock, but this doesn't just elevate you, you know, three or four notches, I don't think. Jameis was playing real great football before that injury on Sunday night in Seattle. I run it back with Jameis. I think this guy could get back to a form uh, like he was in college. He does throw some interceptions, but I think he could throw a lot of touchdowns and for the Saints, get you a lot of wins next year. You know, one thing with OTAs about to kick off, I saw that Schefter tweeted that the Browns, Deshaun Watson, which is still weird to say, he's going to get investigated by the NFL down in Texas before he goes off to the Bahamas to do the the QB chemistry with the wide receivers, building connections before the real uh, practices begin. So he's he's getting vetted by the NFL to see if he uh, assaulted numerous countless women it seems like which it's just so strange because do I know what happened no no no, nobody does except for the people that were actually there and it it seems strange because I can see it either which way he assaulted all these women because he was a creep and a predator and just an absolute monster I, I could see that can I really tend to believe that no because I can see the other way where Maybe he did something that you know could be construed or could easily be believed as sexual assault. And then all these other masseuses or massage therapists that he was a client of, they got wind of this news and said, hmm, if this person's saying it, I can easily say he did the same thing to me with a similar story, but tweaking it a little bit. It's a money grab. Yeah, I, I can see that too where it's just a whole bunch of lies, a web of lies from a bunch of women. I don't know which happened. I'm open to either way. I I can't say with any certainty. If they're lying, they should go to jail. If he's lying, he should go to jail. It's that simple. But I do know, if I'm the Browns, how can you feel comfortable showing up in in Bethia, Ohio, or, or wherever you practice with this guy on a fully guaranteed contract And you don't even know if he's going to be available the first six, eight games of this season. You've put all your eggs into this basket. 
You gave up multiple first-round picks. And now you're just counting on some receivers that got a lot to prove going into this year, an offense that has a lot to prove, a team overall. And you might not have them available for like the first half of the season. You play in the AFC North. Last time I checked, the AFC uh, 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 team that made the Super Bowl was in your division, in the Bengals. And the Ravens, they never slouch. The Steelers, they never slouch. I mean, you took an absolute huge swing, and I'm not, you know, against taking home run cuts, and I'm not necessarily saying you should have kept Baker, but man, there's a point where you have to weigh the cost analysis and then also walk away when it gets to be a little too greedy for the other side. And I think Deshaun Watson's camp with this fully guaranteed contract, that was the point when the Panthers walked away. I, I think the Browns should have too. You know, maybe he ends up in Atlanta that way. Maybe you don't get the player. But this was just way too big of a risk. And, you know, I, I think with the NFL, they certainly, just from an image standpoint, they want to find something. They certainly need to find something to prove that they just, they're, they're not going to tolerate this type of slander to the shield. Right or wrong, that's what they're going to do. They want to find something to prove, hey, we investigated it, we looked at it, and there was some misconduct. And here we go, we're going to slap X amount of games on it. Just so the public says, hey, they, they looked at it and they found this. You don't even necessarily have to get the whole truth. You can get 30% of the truth and say, you violated the conduct, you're missing the first six games of the season. That will appease a lot of people. So... It's going to be interesting. I don't think with the NFL finally conducting their investigations that we're really going to find anything new, anything juicy. I have heard rumblings that there is like a huge caveat with this whole thing, something completely unforeseen. I heard that from one reputable reporter on another podcast. Don't know whether to make much of it or not, but apparently there there could be a quite the twist coming uh, in regards to Deshaun Watson's favor. So we'll be on the lookout for that as OTAs uh, come next week here on the 23rd. Cannot wait for that. Cannot wait to hear about the Patriots and what's going on with their offensive coordinator. Can't wait to get a new look at like uh, the Steelers and Kenny Pickett and just some of these new first-year players. This is when you see uh, kind of how the connections are going. You see the Tua Tagovailoa underthrows from uh, you know, Miami Dolphins to Tyreek Hill. It's just, it's a cool time. It's a laid back time. It's great to throw out the theoreticals, love the NFL. And even in May, we still have all the content. So Steve Young talked on Trey Lance matter of days ago, talking about he cannot say, cannot give a firm declaration on whether the Niners should start their second year quarterback this season. And it got me thinking, um, because he, he clearly a guy that's connected to the franchise. He wants to endorse the second year player. He also wants to toe the line with Jimmy Garoppolo with what he's done, but it's clear that the more information that comes out here, Lance has been underwhelming and he hasn't been ready. And I, I feel bad for the guy because it's not even his fault because when I close my eyes, close my eyes after seeing him play and, and think about these things. He did not play in the 2020 season, and then he didn't play in the 2021 season. 
He went to North Dakota State, small school, FCS. You have a Super Bowl quarterback, a guy that played in the big game in Jimmy Garoppolo. And then you also, as the Niners, you have a head coach that won games in this league in the NFL as a coordinator with names like Kirk Cousins, RG3, Matt Schaub, Brian Hoyer, Johnny Manziel. He won games with these players under center. Kyle Shanahan is a magnificent coach, and you drafted Trey Lance. You drafted the guy from the small school who didn't play the year before, and you had him sit again. The guy's going on three years of not playing football, and you gave up the farm to go get him. I I just I used to think very highly of John Lynch, but he has become so obsessed with just the 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 general newfound ideas of team building. He he really doesn't demonstrate that the fundamentals of building a roster. It, it's he he does it like it's GM uh, of like video games, like it's just uh, podcasting or it's writing articles, just having fun, throwing scenarios out there. He listened to Twitter. He got caught up in big arm QBs and traits and measurables instead of actually looking at it from a very pragmatic sort of way. You look at the best GMs, they tune out the noise. They actually go back to their scouting days, and they go back to strategies and understanding how a 16-game schedule plays out and what needs to be happening at the QB position. Trey Lance, this is a guy that in like 2008, he would go in the the fourth round, fifth round. He's not a first-round prospect. He just isn't. And I like the guy. Every time he talks, seems to be made of the right stuff, great attitude. But he was overdrafted, and the expectations, the bar is so high, you can't even scrape it. It's well beyond your fingertips. And I just think that John Lynch is holding this team up the more and more I think about it because I just think he's got these wide-eye ways of trying to build a team, and he's gotten away from just the fundamentals and what got him going back in 2017. And I just feel like the San Francisco Niners in their season in 2022, it could be an absolute disaster if Trey Lance is the starter. You know, one thing with the younger Bryce Harper came up in 2012. He was 19. Uh, had a really good season. I don't think he... I know he had like a really hot, maybe like first 10 days or two weeks. He, he wasn't batting like 400 or anything, but he... His athleticism was on display, and he was able to square up fastballs, and I know Cole Hamels drilled him. He was very confident, and it led to a little bit of cockiness as the years went on. I remember it was, where's my ring in spring training of 2013 or 14 when the Nats made all these offseason signings, and they were loaded, and then they were a massive disappointment, and you know it was like uh, uh, Davey Johnson got fired, and then Matt Williams got fired. Then Dusty came in and he got fired. And then they had uh, uh, Davey Martinez. And, you know, he's done a phenomenal job, got him to the World Series, and they won it the year Bryce uh, left uh, in 2019. And, and, you know, since 2020, uh, 2012 debut and then 2014 and then, you know, make baseball fun again. And, you know, Bryce, he, he, he's yelled at umpires. He said, F you uh, on camera. 
he was very cocky. He was all about the brand. He was all about trash talking and trying to, you know, almost be the face of baseball. And he's dialed that back. He's gotten away from that. And I think it's an excellent thing. Not because I'm I'm not anti-brand. I'm not anti-personality. I like players with personality. I, I, I really do. I just think there comes a time where when that becomes the focus and the forefront, you get away from playing baseball. That's what really, for the absolute winners, the best of the best, the Bradys, the Jordans, what did they do? They won. That was their brand. And then all these other things like, you know, the the TV deal, or not the TV deals, but the shoe deals, and Brady did like um, Uggs, and he's doing like Bitcoin now, and, and all these other things. That's That's monopoly money, man. Like this guy understands that winning takes care of everything. And I think with Bryce, maybe it's because the Nats want it. This guy is on a mission. He is terrorizing fastballs. And, you know, I got a notification a couple uh, minutes ago that he's not playing tonight because he got the uh, platelet rich uh, injection um, to help heal his injury. He's going to be DHing pretty much for the the next uh, few weeks. But the guy is just scorching baseballs. I was watching on Saturday night, deposited one into right field at, at uh, Dodger Stadium. I mean, he, he's just, he's never looked better. Even during his MVP season last year and the one in 2015, the guy's the guy looks good. And I really think if they could shore up that defense in Philadelphia, they got good starting pitching. I think it's good enough. The bullpen get a couple of key arms. They could go on a run. They could chase down the Mets close. I don't think they can close the gap. I think they can shrink the gap. I really like what the Phillies are doing. And I think Bryce Harper, the way he is focused on just winning games, he doesn't talk a lot anymore. When you do hear him talk, when he's mic'd up, it's really just about the team. It's not about anything as far as going on in the world and outside noise and this and that. It's really just about how do the Phillies win baseball games. You know, one thing that happens for like one player each season around this time is that a player may be coming off an injury or a cap hit who, you know, he maybe has something left, but you're not quite sure if he's going to be as good as maybe a draft pick that you've been evaluating leading up to the April draft. He kind of just sits there on the open market and no team touches him, but then they sign immediately. And the Saints just got done or uh, got done talking about Drew Brees they just signed Jarvis Landry after getting uh, Honey Badger. So they got two of those guys and a couple of good ads because Landry plays hurt, plays hard, tough guy, and he's he's not going to lay down. He's not going to be a joke. Uh, the only way this goes south for New Orleans is if he gets a, uh, a knee injury that's season-ending. Um, other than that, you're, you're getting a heck of a player, a guy that likes Louisiana, just like Honey Badger, both LSU guys, and they're going to come in motivated to prove something, and the Saints overall as a program got something to prove, so I like that a lot. Philip Lindsay, that's a guy that that did, you know, turn south a little bit, and I always thought he had great bounce outside speed. He had that in Denver, and then he went to Houston. Now he's signing with the Colts. I like him as a back. Seems to be a good player to me. Maybe he did go south, though, because nobody seems to want to keep him, so I don't know. Some guys are just kind of like that. I know Cordero Patterson uh, on the tight end side of things. Jared Cook always seems to be that guy where it's just like, why are you bouncing around teams so often? <laughs> Everybody seems to utilize you so well. 
yet you're always switching teams. Why doesn't anybody want to keep you? One of those strange deals. Tariq Cohen, um, man, that was a guy that you thought really was going to take off at one point, and then he suffered that leg injury in 2020, and nothing's guaranteed, man. Nothing is guaranteed. Everybody just seems to think ACL, boom, he'll be back in one year, do the rehab, it's done, he'll be good. Not for everybody. This guy's struggling to get healthy, and it's kind of sad. XFL reached an agreement with Disney. I'm intrigued to watch it. I remember it was one of my you know, latest memories before COVID-19 was watching the XFL in Denver uh, with some pals. And, you know, it, it was a good league. It was entertaining. Watching the Battle Hawks. Hopefully St. Louis gets a team after hearing this news with the relocation of the NFL. You can almost guarantee it's never coming back. It never will. And this is the only way to have pro football and televising the games, doing a few tweaks, doing new things, getting creative. It's a cool thing because the NFL is always looking for cutting-edge things, and they can serve as a partner in kind of testing things out to work together to to both succeed. And hopefully St. Louis is part of that mission with the XFL again. Appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Again, I'm your host, Pete Forsey, for those that are new. Share with your friends. Help them find the show. I appreciate every follow. I appreciate every review. If you want to give five stars, one stars, it's okay. I want the feedback. I want this to improve each and every episode. Let me know what I can do. You can hit up the call line, 816-226-7483, the podcast at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us there. And, of course, on Twitter, at Pete4C, and all social media. Thanks so much. We'll see you guys next week.